Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is summer and winter Olympian Jana Pittman. Pittman about three metres in front, she was rough there. Danvers is coming home hard. Two to get over. Pittman leads by four. Five metres over Paris and Danvers. Stumbles a bit at the last. Gets over it. And Pittman's away. And the 19-year-olds get a win brilliantly. How are you? You're good. Do you enjoy watching the Olympics, Libby? Oh, my. When it's on? Yeah. Did, how did you like it? Uh, it, it's always a bit of both for me. So, I mean, I love watching it. I'm glued to the TV and I'm, I did a lot with Channel 7 this year, which was great. But I, it still always gives so much heartache, which is ridiculous. Mm. Like the Commonwealth don't do that, Worlds don't do that. But I think the Olympics for me, because it didn't sort of finish the way I wanted it to, still has that like weird pang and then it goes away. And then four years later it comes back <laughs> and it goes away. That really is weird. so funny that you say that because I am like literally identical. I, I – <laughs> And this sounds really lame and I probably wouldn't like just talk to anybody about this, but like I just, I miss it so much and like I just, like you can feel the disappointment, you can feel the high, you can feel all of those emotions and I don't know, like you see all the stories like Jess Fox, like I was literally ugly crying. Me too. (laughs) Ugly crying, just sobbing <laughs> yeah. when she got third yeah. in the kayak and then she won the yeah. canoe. I was just like, she just worked so hard. She's got it. Because I thought she was going to get double gold. Yeah. And I thought when she didn't win the first one, like, oh, that could play mentally. So, it, you know, we're both athletes, we know how that can work. Yeah. And it did the complete opposite. It just yeah. renewed her. So, yeah. yeah. And bias on the dais is gorgeous as well. So amazing. <laughs> probably, that was probably my highlight of the game of um, Tokyo. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, obviously the swimmers did exceptionally well. I can never go past them. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Jess I think has to be one of my highlights. But I also loved um, the decathlon. Do you know Cedric Dubler? Oh, yeah, Cedric, Cedric Dubler. Yeah, Dubler. Cedric Dubler and Ash Maloney. So, um, yes, and it was just, you're right, the actual way they supported each other was beautiful. Yeah. And it was nice that the media actually really played on that too because – in, in all truth, because we get so many medals in swimming, sometimes a silver or a bronze in athletics can be very much like, oh, yeah, well, why didn't they get gold? Because it's just <laughs> we never terrible. get gold. <laughs> you know, but it's the truth. Because, and it's not it's it's not their fault. I mean, if the public sees gold, 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 and then, mm. you know, Emma can come home with, what, nine medals or whatever. I think, well, I don't know how many she I think six of them's total for 11 for a career or whatever. But you, you can look at athletics and think, oh, why are they celebrating a bronze? So yeah. it, was, it was quite beautiful that they celebrated the story behind his medal as well. But I think that was the real beauty of this particular Olympics though is I think there was a lot of those backstories there was a lot of that sportsmanship there was a lot of team you know it's not just me it's my team um exactly and I just think maybe it's because of COVID yeah it could be because the whole world is looking for those not just golds but it's the story behind the golds or the story behind the medals because it's the first time I've seen that so vividly at this games yeah Mm. and I just resonated so much I think it was really beautiful yeah. Ah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, it's so nice to chat. It's um, it's yeah. so funny because, like, with you, I've been researching you obviously for this chat, and I don't know. I, it's, it's so hard to know where to start because you are just the most <laughs> fascinating, amazing oh, athlete. Thanks. Like, do I start with your athletics career, which obviously was 
you know, burdened with injury or do I start Mm. with, you know, becoming the first Australian woman to go to a summer and a winter Olympics or do I talk about the fact that you've had four children uh, or do I talk about the fact that you're now a doctor? Like there's so much to talk to you about. But I guess for me I would like to start um, where I normally start, which is what made you realise that it was time to kind of – stop your athletic career? What what made you realise that it was time to move on with your life? It's always a hard decision, I think, for any athlete to make. And for me, it was that I had a career that was coming on so beautifully in a, in a different area being medicine. And so therefore the decision was easier. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had times post that point where I thought I was so certain the day I decided I was retiring. And there's definitely been moments subsequent to that where I've gone, I'm not sure that was exactly as you know, exactly the right time. Mm. Um, but it was when I was in a theatre and I was actually helping deliver a baby. We were doing it, it was an emergency cesarean. And the surgeon said to me, would you like to scrub and be my first assistant? I was still a medical student. And I knew I had to meet my coach at 5pm. But if I stayed back for this surgery, I wouldn't make it to training. Like it was more important to me to stay back in my medical career and learn this surgery and be a part of it, which I'd be hundreds and thousands more subsequently. But that was a key to me that I realised the passion and the drive that I had for sport had passed into something else. How did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? Like, ha- like, it, like to, to be able to study <laughs> and, you know, do everything else that you were doing at the time. Like, how did you, ah, oh, I mean, it's such a commitment, especially not, you know, straight out of school. <laughs> That's right. I know it'll be that. Look, I'm very lucky that it's actually what I've always wanted to do. So even as a as a child, like you know, I remember being six years old and trying to do operations on my brother when you know, not real ones, obviously, but <laughs> pretend like as a kid. Now sit still. <laughs> you know, I'm sure I fed him some snail pills at my point, but <laughs> no. So, but yeah, <laughs> I was young, and so it was always there. It was always that for veterinary science. So I think at one point, though, I I certainly made excuses in sort of my late twenties, thinking, well. I've got sport. I've got a great excuse. You know, I'm, I'm not a doctor because I've um, I've had this amazing sports career and, and it's and it's held me back. And then I realised I was just not being honest with myself. I was afraid of trying to get into medicine and mm. and not making it. So I thought, how can I give into that fear? I've, I've you know I, I get up on on a stage and mo- try to motivate other people in our you know our public speaking and stuff. But yet I was afraid of of acknowledging that maybe I wasn't clever enough to do it. So I thought, nah, I'm going to give it a crack. And I failed the first time, funnily enough. Um, which almost reinforced that I wasn't clever enough. Um, but then I studied really, really hard for the following one and, and uh, quite easily made it in on the second go. So, yeah, it was just, I guess for me, I think just very lucky that I knew from a young person this is what something that I wanted to pursue. You're someone who just from the outside it looks like you just kind of decide to do something and then go and do it. But it hasn't always been that easy <laughs> for you because, you know, True. throughout your athletics career you had a, a ton of injuries, so many things yeah. that you had to face and overcome. One of my first memories of you was the 2004 Olympics in Athens and you had just <laughs> injured your, was it your knee? Just yeah, before, my right knee. Your right knee. I think that's before. when I met. Yeah, that's when we met. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. And I just remember you on crutches, um, you know, getting yeah. ready to, to compete at the Olympic Games and you ended up placing, was it fifth? That's Those, right. Yeah. And like to overcome that and to make a final and to come fifth in the world is like an incredible achievement in of itself. But how did you manage that? Because it, that wasn't your only injury that you faced throughout your, your racing career. No, that's right, Libby. And for me, that does still haunt me. That's where the Olympics still can bring some some pain and, and some 
sometimes when you, you know, especially when you're someone who's intelligent, you overthink everything. So that's a, that's a negative thing that I have is I overthink and I contemplate and I think, what if I'd done this and what if I'd done that? And, and it certainly suits me well with my, with my patients because I, you know, think about what I'm doing with them and making sure the plan is correct and things like that. But it can be a bit self-sabotaging for me as a, as a, as a person in life generally because you definitely look back at that situation and think, well, what could have I done differently? And I guess what I am lucky is that I'm very resilient. Mm. So even if something sort of knocked me down at the time, I don't let it get to me. So I'm one of those people that will just say, okay, that door's closed. Let's try and either spanner it open again or, or find another door to get through. So the Olympics for me still holds a lot of, I wish I had it. Um, mm. You know, I would have loved to have. And I look, and you're right, coming fifth at the Olympics two and a half weeks after a, a big knee surgery where they removed half my meniscus, which is a bit of cartilage in the in the right side of your knee, is extraordinary. And I know that as a doctor now, how great that is. But mm. at the time, and you know, you know what it feels like to want to win gold. Mm. Coming fifth is like, oh, you're kidding me, aren't you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What it's like <laughs> a participation medal. Like, <laughs> what's <Exactly>. the point? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I've had to have, put my logical hat on and realize how amazing that was. Um, and then the other part of me thinks, yes, but that's what made me a great athlete that I wasn't prepared to be happy with that performance despite the circumstances around it. Um, but sadly for me despite winning multiple world titles and Commonwealth titles, the same thing happened again at the Beijing Olympics. So mm. I was reigning world champion going into that. And that one, that world champs, I'd somehow won seven months after having a baby too, yes. which is a minor miracle. You have kids, it's like I had a, my pelvic floor was barely working, let alone jumping over hurdles and running 400 metres. Yet another thing I wanted to talk to you about, but yes, you won a, a bloody world title. Eight, well, what was it? Seven months after having yeah, a baby. A yeah. But then somehow the Olympics the following year, yet again, an injury came about. So it just wasn't my destiny to be. Like, I don't know whether that's what probably gave me the courage down the track to go into medicine because I had three goals in life. One was to win the Olympics, one was to become a doctor, and the other one was to have five kids. So I want, you know, to at least achieve, achieve, when I was strange as a kid, they were my three goals, like, by the age, by the time I was ten years old, I had those three goals. Incredible. um, Yeah, so I think it was one of those, well, this, when I realized the Olympics was never going to happen, you know, when I was really honest, by that stage, I was in bobsled and we were never going to win a gold medal. It was more about loving the Olympics and enjoying it for what it was. Um, yeah, I think that's where that comes from. I find that really interesting. Like, I mean, it's incredible that you had those goals from such a young age. Like, they're, they're, they're big goals. <laughs> yeah. They're they're not little goals, you know, but obviously you, you have faced challenges amongst that all. And uh, like, is it, is it mm, like, would you think that it's correct in saying that you've always had a, a difficult, not always, but you've had some difficult relationship with the media from time to time? Yeah. Because it's, it, it just felt so love-hate with you and the media yeah. and, and yeah, I mean, as, as you would have lived it. And, like, how do you manage that when people just aren't understanding what it is you're trying to achieve and making judgments about you and what, what you're working towards? In all truth, I and I don't mind talking about this because I know I'm not the only one in the world that has these sort of feelings and therefore I think it's a good message for people out there to hear is that I've always just I think it affected me more and I probably chased my tail a little bit with the media trying to rectify some of the things I said wrong or some of the some of mm. the messages that came out that I wanted to change because I was so desperate to be liked. Mm. So I was grew up being really dorky, not having a good social network, not really knowing how to engage with other people, so not having knowing what to say in a conversation to make friends. So all of a sudden there you were, you're in the limelight, people were starting to like you. You know, I remember going to a bar when I was like, I don't know, I would have been 19 years old and the kid that seriously picked on me at school, like we're talking, humiliated me and 
bullied me at school, came and asked me out on a date. And I'm wow. like, how is this possible? Yeah. <laughs> how am I going from being an ugly duckling to all of a sudden I can run a little bit fast and he thinks I'm cool? Yeah. So therefore, once the media started, the, the little little girl inside of me that just wanted to be liked and loved and accepted thought that was the platform to make that happen. Mm. So, you know, I guess it all backfired around the, so, you know, brilliant through Commonwealth Games and World Championships, winning my first champion, World Champs at 19, got fantastically lovely media out of that. Um, and then coming out through the Athens period, I just was too available to the media. Mm. And Australia doesn't like that. They like us to be more humble and, and, you know, I mean, I never came out and said I was going to win, but I was just too available. That's, it's, that's the honest truth of it. And then I speak fast. I'm, I'm a bit quirky in nature. And so, realistically, relived my childhood at high school through mm. <laughs> great. That, that, that's um, that's actually interesting that you bring that up because it's it, it is something that I think a lot of Australian media and a lot of Australian society find quite confronting when people are like, yeah, I want to win a gold medal. Yeah, I have goals and aspirations, and you know, this is what I think I can do. And people tend to kind of, I don't know, wince or cringe or like, oh. I think the, the it, certainly in our era, in your mind, when we're competing 2004 to 2010, that was definitely something that I learned the hard way. Mm. And thankfully, I won most things. So therefore, you know, at least you lived up to that most of the time, but not the ones that mattered, the big Olympics. But mm. definitely with the more the social media and podcasts and things like that, it's we're getting more authentic with our messaging. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a couple of great athletes at the Games who genuinely came out, Peter Boll was one of them, and said they weren't happy with their performance and that yeah. they should have done this and they won that. And we, we actually celebrated yeah. them for those that honest like the young boxer I can't remember what her name is now but the young Sky, boxer who yeah. cried and honest about the fact that she was you know so I think they asked her will she be, she'll be amazing at the 20 the 20 the next Olympics 20 what is it now 2024 yes <laughs> I know. it's not about that it's about how bad you know how how much she felt bad about the performance she'd had and it to me we all you me other Olympic athletes know that that's what it takes to win you mm. need that kind of personality and spirit to be the best in the world but it's, sometimes it's really hard as a young person to keep that inside so so I like that the the community and the people around our athletes is now supporting that authenticity yeah I totally agree because I think that was one of the big epiphanies for me during these last um during the Olympics is that I for the first time articulated to myself that I was disappointed with Beijing because I yeah. went in wanting to win five gold medals and I hadn't articulated that to myself before and I have always been afraid to say that because, I mean, for one, it's greedy and stupid – not stupid, it was a goal that I wanted to achieve and I didn't achieve it but I wouldn't have been able to articulate that at the time and so it's been really lovely yeah. to see that narrative be received well because you know people yeah. athletes like Peter Bowl or Carl Chalmers who won silver in the 100 freestyle yes. you know he yeah. he spoke so articulately about you know wanting to win but he's really proud of his performance whereas you know me at that age I would be like oh just go and cry <laughs> to myself in the change rooms because I was so disappointed <laughs> and didn't know how to articulate or yeah. express myself in that way it's been really eye-opening I think and it's good for the public to see because sport is not just actually 99.9% of sport is about failure and disappointment. Yes. You know, those those one minute moments in time where you succeed, um, unfortunately, often get swept under the table the following week by another poor swim or, or, or you know, bad jump. So it's just, mm. it's it's great that the, these athletes are able to, you know, tell us back at home that, that they also have feelings and and really, you know, want to express that person side of them yeah and so how do you how do you process that then like you your olympics 
Olympic experiences weren't what you wanted to achieve and weren't what you dreamed of. Like, how do you transmute that? Is that just how you've kind of gone into going to a Winter Olympics and becoming the first Australian woman to do that? Or, you know, has that, you've been able to channel that energy into into medicine and, and your studies or into your children? Yeah. No, that's a great question. So the the pain of not winning the Olympics will never leave me. It mm. is a driver for a lot of the things I do. There is no way I can't I can't honestly say, oh yes, I'm completely fine with it. <laughs> but I've I've definitely used that pain to succeed in a multiple multitude of other areas. And it was definitely part of the reason why I picked a second sport. So I tried boxing, rowing, cycling, and bobsled, and then settled on bobsled, not to win a medal in another sport, but because I actually had a really horrible relationship with the Olympics. So mm. I lost Athens for injury. I lost Beijing for injury. I actually lost London for injury as well. So yeah. I was in great shape before every three of those Olympics, and then the massive injury took it out. And it was just poor timing, like really bad timing, because the two world championships I won were also four years apart. So had they literally been a calendar year later, I'd be double Olympic champion, which yeah. would be amazing. So it is what it is. It's part of how the body works and how you deal with pressure and things in your life impacting on your sport. They all have a big play on that. But so I want to go to another Olympics. So purely that I could actually capture those moments in my mind and realize that the Olympics is not just about winning. It's a huge part of it. Don't get me wrong, but it's also about representing your country and coming away with life lessons. So going in bobsled supported two things there. One, I went as a team because bobsled is not a one woman sport. Mm. Obviously my pilot was actually more important than me, Astrid, because um, she was the one who actually did the hard work, drove the thing down the track. All I had to do was push and sit. Oh, and trusting. Um, <laughs> Trusting's a big one in that, I feel like. Yeah, <laughs> in that, but yes. Um, and secondly, so that I could really, re- I have honestly, Libby, I can't even remember the actual race in Athens. Like I have zero memories of it because I've blocked it out and I have no memories of even some of my my winning performances. I can barely remember Paris, the world championships. So I wanted to go to Olympics where I literally took photographic like memories in my head so that I could vividly remember the privilege that it was to represent your country. And that was my main goal, which was which was amazing. Did you feel like it was restorative in that way? Very much so. Very, very much so. And as was medicine. So because that was one of my other huge life goals, I was, it, was, it was the day I walked across the stage and they said, Dr. Pittman, I can tell you I was bawling my eyes out and it was partly because it genuinely felt like it replaced some of the pain from the Olympics. Mm. So no one in that audience other than my parents would have understand that. And it's funny because I rang my coach, Phil King, um, the minute I got off the stage after my graduation and just said, I did it. I did it. You know, PK, he's my coach. Mm. Um, I achieved it. It's done. Can't take that away from me. And, he, and both just had a cry and it was like, you know, because it felt literally like another Olympics. Yeah. Oh gosh, you're making me tear up. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it's it's a lot more personal, you know. Like I think when you are an athlete, it's so like it's ah, the the hours and the training and every effort that you put in every single day, nobody sees that. That is something that you were choosing to do away mm. from the view of everybody, but then you come to the performance and everybody watches and everybody sees that. And and to be able to then use that energy and, and go and achieve that certificate, that Bachelor of Medicine, you know, <laughs> like the, the – and you've gone on to do Masters, haven't you, as well? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. It, I've got a, I've, You'll never learned how to rein in my desire to achieve things. Like mm. <laughs> it's not conducive to a balanced, happy life. Mm. But it ha- that part of me hasn't changed. I've had that my entire life. But to to be able to, I don't know, apply yourself in that way, and then to 
to achieve that, not to the accolades of Australia and not to, you know, everyone cheering you on or, or booing you, whatever it might be. Like, what did that feel like, you know, to, to be able to do that and share that with those that you love? I mean, everything. Like it, it, it really did feel like a, a wiping of the slate clean in terms of. So I, as I kind of touched on this a bit earlier, but I definitely held some guilt over the not winning the Olympics. So there was a part of me that thought I'd done something wrong. So even though every, if I go back and I can logically compute the injuries that happened, there was there was there was never an injury where I ran out and was drunk and fell over and ripped in a calf or anything. It was always a in the middle of a training session, going as hard as you could, trying your absolute best, and something ruptures, and that's. It's unavoidable. It's the same. It's the same as you guys diving off the blocks, and, and if you if you if you hurt yourself, you, you can't do anything about it. Mm. So, and with preparation was close to perfect going into Athens. So, having that sort of, but having that underlying personality of, well, what if? What did I could have I done differently? Mm. The final year of medicine, um, I actually genuinely sat down and said, right, I set myself a goal for marks. I know it's ridiculous, but I wanted to achieve a certain level of academic excellence mm. within my degree. And I said to myself, this is going to prove that if you are able to do that and not lose the plot and sabotage the you know the race mm. um it'll wipe away those personal feelings of what you have from a from a failure through the sport and I did that and I got exactly the marks that I wanted and exactly the you know the position that I wanted to be in the in the year and therefore I, I vividly remember feeling that release like it was a complete and utter release like you've had babies like like giving birth mm. it was like wow, I've, I've done this and I've, I've proved to myself the majority of things that happened in my sport were unfortunately freak acts. Of course, you're involved in them. Don't get me wrong. You're, everyone plays a part in some of the, in the sporting stuff, but I definitely tried my best and it was just bad luck. And that was a really lovely moment to release. Yeah, that, that's you, you've processed some shit there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From the psychology side of you, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm processing <laughs> processing it it's great it's um yeah how do you so well how do you I mean I I look at you and I I get tired by seeing all the things that you do and you've got four little ones your youngest is nine months nine months and and you're working as a doctor you're working in a COVID hospital is that right yeah like how how (laughs) it's my question how how do you do it all like how do you I mean, you sort of alluded to it. You, you it's not necessarily conducive to a happy, balanced, <laughs> easy no, life. So, how do you how do you manage it? <laughs> yeah, I'm very, I have a very very patient husband. <laughs> but um, look, look. In all truth, there's two things there. Firstly, lots of lots of doctors manage children. They just haven't had perhaps the career behind me, behind them that I have in terms of sports. So, I'm in a wonderful medical mums group where I see amazing women and men. Uh, managing their their medical careers with half a dozen kids and, and doing amazing at it. So I think, yes, I, I get the accolades maybe deserved or not deserved because I've also had a career behind me that was quite successful, whereas I'm just a normal mum now. Mm. You know, I, I see my beautiful kids most of the time. I'm a little bit part-time at the moment with work, so I don't work as many days as I, I could. If I needed to do more, I could, yeah. um, just so that I have time to spend with the kids. So there's nothing special to be in all truth. It's just managing like any other mum with lots of kids at home. I mean, you say it so so casually, but <laughs> four kids is is a lot. Because how? What's the age range? It's nine months to nine months, four years, um, six years, and fourteen years. So the fourteen year old is actually quite a lot of help. Obviously, he doesn't want to yeah. be these days. He's a real teenager, but he gets roped into babysitting a lot. <laughs> it's incredible, and because you've like another fascinating part of your journey, which I think a lot of women would be really interested in, is the fact that you had two of your babies. By yourself, via sperm donor. Yep. So how do you yep. make that decision and commitment and 
all of the things that are involved with, you know, being a single parent at the time and, yeah, doing it alone. Uh, look, uh, there's a few facets there. Firstly, I had my son already and I was a single mum with him anyway. So he was already a big part of my life and he was five or six when we started looking at the idea of having kids on my own. I really wanted to give him a sibling because we literally were just the two of us and I mm. wanted him and I knew the life that I was going to live with sport with uh, sorry, with medicine was going to be some fairly long hours. So I wanted him to have the companionship with others. Mm. Um, secondly, I was getting older. So I was in my early 30s already and I had, a, I again, knew I had this huge career ahead and didn't want to prioritize dating at the time to try and meet someone who could let's be honest if it was that quick bitch could just be a sperm donor anyway if I'm never around <laughs> to actually get to know the poor guy and I'd probably end up in an awkward course so <laughs> um yeah so I, and look I was very lucky that I had a friend who'd done it before me so I watched her journey and I watched how she had twin boys and I watched how wonderful a mother she was and how she balanced it beautifully with her career and um and then lastly I had an incredibly supportive mother mm. so I remember the conversation I literally was sitting down at the table with her and I'm like mum this is my plan. Uh, this is what I want to do, and she would. Yeah, she was. She was on board with it. So um, initially, it was only going to be one. I thought I'll just have one little girl. Um, but you know, I've, as I said, I've always wanted five kids. So yeah. <laughs> I guess um, having another one was was a lovely, lovely sort of journey. But I certainly didn't expect to have my 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 latest son. So I thought I'd have the two little girls and my son, and it'd just be the four of us forever. Um, and it was very unexpected to meet someone like Paul who would take on a personality like mine. Mm. So. Um, it takes a certain special person to to be able to live with someone who's very driven, passionate, full of energy and a little tiring, as you say. So. <laughs> I'm not saying you're tiring. I'm saying I'm tired listening to all of the amazing things. A lot of, a lot of people say your energy is so high and you are uh, you can you need me in small doses <laughs> but uh, but i do find that so fascinating because you obviously have this wonderful self awareness that you know i think comes with age and experience right mm. like you start to understand who you are and you're okay like you become comfortable with it right like yeah. you become comfortable with this is who i am and i'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's okay I- that definitely came from the media as well because when you do get berated and and I guess you hear negative things about yourself, you definitely need to look in the mirror and work out who you are and and why certain things happen and just learn to be comfortable with the person staring back at you. And I realised oh, my ultimate goal is I love to help others and I'm, I'm a good mum and, you know, sometimes a good wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, 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 you have to accept what's there. So and that's always been a big big part of my last couple of years is trying to get people comfortable with the person they are and and and, and, and another side of that is being comfortable with the friends that are around you because mm-hmm. we're all human we all make mistakes we're all not to everybody's taste but accepting people who are a little bit oddball can actually really enhance and and uh, make your life pretty special because they bring a lot to the table yeah you're an exceptional woman so you would bring so much to the table for, for all <laughs> of your relationships I'm sure I I wanted to ask you a little bit about SAS Australia are we allowed to talk about SAS? yeah, yeah, yeah. cool yeah um, <laughs> yeah awesome. um tell tell me tell me everything like how for one I mean I I, I get you know your personality is like yeah let's do it <laughs> Yeah, but how like because your baby how how old would he have been when you went and did it he was five and a half months and look that was not the plan don't get me I was actually in the first season so I was supposed Uh to be doing season one um and then with COVID I got pregnant between the time they cancelled it or I I was actually pregnant at the time they cancelled the first filming because they had to delay it with COVID so by the time they filmed it later in the year I was 20 weeks pregnant and couldn't do it so I already signed a contract with them and had the, so the, you know the, the bug in your system to want to do it yes um and then 
I guess I just started training and thought, look, it's not like the Olympics. If you have to drop out after two days, you drop out. Yeah. You just you give your best. It's 13 days of survival and you survive for as long as you can. But it was de- the hardest part about that was being away from the kids. But I think all mothers understand that. Yeah. So did, like how did, how, again, just how? <laughs> like how did you train for it? How did you manage the, I, I mean, I imagine the physical challenges would be something that you'd kind of take in your stride. But, um, A bit of both. Yeah. A bit of both because I did only have the five months and I worked till the day I gave birth. So I literally wow. worked till the 9th of November and then I gave birth on the 10th of November. So trying to work full-time heavily pregnant with the three kids at home meant that I was underdone to be. Yeah. And look, again, as athletes, we have a certain expectation on our fitness mm. and I was at 60%. So majority of it was mental, just mental strength and trying really hard to not stop. But I was, there was, yeah, I was nowhere near as fit as I could have been. But look, you know, I'm a retired athlete. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not Yana Pitt and the track athlete anymore. So it's Is hard it, to get out of that mode though. It's really hard. Yeah. I, I've just started doing some master swimming again and it's yeah. really – it's so – it's both hard and easy. It's easy to flick back into that kind yeah. of athlete mode where you're like, wow, I am so not the person that I used to be. <laughs> but it's also very easy to forget and just be like, oh, well, <laughs> this well, is me now. Should, I highly recommend you giving SAS a go, SAS. It's, it, was, it, was, it was so much fun. So, I mean, I can't talk about how what happened and, and where, no. but you've seen a lot of the footage has come out already. So you can see some of the crazy things they made us do in the, in the advertisements that are, yes. are going to sort of. Yeah, it was brilliant. The thing for me, because I've seen some footage of people going underwater in cars and having yeah, to like climb, horrific. that would be not, that's not my Horrific. Thing. Yeah. Which I can't understand because I said this to Gian Rooney that when I was talking to her about it. I was like, how do you not, like, you guys are swimmers. Oh, you would no. be the best. Mm-mm, mm-mm. The best. Not for me. Oh, God. And anything to do with cold water, like cold water is my kryptonite. So <laughs> I'd be like, uh, <laughs> oh, no, this is too cold for me. <laughs> I need my oh, water to be like 27 and a half degrees. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's a classic. That's pretty funny. The thing I struggled most with with on SAS was running. So that's <laughs> <laughs> you're like this should be our easy thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, running with the packs on. Oh my god, yeah. the really heavy things you can back the the Bergens. They're like eighteen kilos, and it was just hard. Wow. But anyway, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see how the um the they produce it and edit it. Obviously, because it's very raw. It's very real. There's no scripting or it's which is what, why I said yes. There was no opportunity to be. There was no political games that could be played. There was no one voting people in or out. Mm. There was no public opinion on it. It's just raw, real, real uh, television. And the majority of the time, you forgot the cameras were there. But having like had, it was just so hard. Having had the experience that you've had with the media, do you worry about how people will receive you? Like, do you worry? Not this time. Okay. I would have in other television shows, which is why I've never done any any celebrity shows ever other than this. Mm. Um, but I. For a multitude of reasons, you know, one that I really wanted to challenge myself, and I'm an, I've just joined the Army Reserves because I have a real affiliation with the forces. Um, and, and my brother, why not ex- add another yeah. thing to your? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really. I want to go and do um, sort of disaster relief overseas as, wow. as a doctor. So I think amazing. Um, and my brother was uh, an ex-veteran from Afghanistan, so we've had sort of the army in our family pretty much since I was a kid because he joined straight out of school. So wow. uh, it was. So when they approached me with the idea of it, I love the idea of a challenge, getting fit after having babies and and on, and just, you know, seeing a little bit of what some of our soldiers go through from a from a fitness and, um, you know, selection perspective. I'm, I'm really interested to understand 
how you manage your mental health amongst all everything that you do because I know that I like I'm very much the personality that you know I want to do things and achieve things and you know you're constantly striving but I know that that can impact negatively on my mental health and I suspect you would be the same if you're constantly um, have this idea of perfection and wanting to achieve certain things how do you manage that amongst everything that you're doing like do you do breathing exercises or meditation or journaling, yeah. like what, what do you do to take care of yourself? That's a good question. Um, I don't do any of those mm. things, which is interesting. I obviously get asked this all the time because I failed so much as well. You know, failed marriages. I've lost a couple of babies through miscarriage, failed the Olympics, failed the first time getting into medicine. Eventually I've passed most of those challenges, obviously now having so many kitties and, and, and being a doctor and whatnot. But in truth, I guess this is where my emotional yarn drama is okay because I allow it out straight away. I'm not someone to hold on to it. Mm. So I will go and have a big cry by myself or publicly in some circumstances. <laughs> Don't worry, I've done that too. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I ride home from work after your, you know, your first patient dies is, is, is mm. a good place to have a big cry. Like I remember that vividly the first time I did CPR on a patient and the patient died. I literally bawled my eyes out mm. for an hour and sat in the car outside my house just crying my eyes out um it's terrific so but that's it that's what I do Libby so I I am someone who works and goes goal 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 and I try really hard to achieve everything and you know I've now started a PhD as well and I'm and, I, and sometimes it becomes overwhelming in all truth mm. and my mental health definitely suffers from it so I can and I can feel it and it's funny because the last few days I've noticed it as well so I've been I've just been noticing just it dropping down a little bit and it's and I know a lot of us have this at the moment with COVID-19 mm. I realize it's the, uh, social isolation so I go from work to home from work to home just like all of us and that's really hard um, but what I believe is you give into that just a little bit so I'm not saying go and you know never get out of bed and you know that's hard and I know that for some people who have depression that is a real a real a real um, symptom that we ask them about mm. but for me I in other words, even though today, for example, this morning was supposed to be my research day and I was supposed to spend the morning cracking out a paper that's due on Monday, I didn't. I sat down and I watched movies all morning. So I give in to that when I need to with the hope that by allowing myself to feel that flattening, that sort of lull in, um, in energy, that I'll come out, come out the other end. And, and it's worked pretty much every time. So you don't beat yourself up for having those low moments. No. You just kind of have it and then let it go. And be honest, I try to sit down and think, why is it happening? So like yesterday I went for a really long walk and I could just feel towards the end of the walk, I'm like, I really don't want to be here and my thoughts were quite negative. I'm like, oh, I'm going into one. It doesn't happen too often, but I could notice just the way the, the negative talk, the self-talk in my head. Mm. I had a conversation berating myself for the conversation about some of the things, some of the ways I'd answered questions in this interview with another friend of mine. So I was like, oh, you, you're, you're just getting into that. And that's just triggers. You notice, I notice the triggers in myself when my mental health is slipping a little bit. And so then I give myself permission to take a day off, which is mm. sometimes a great day. Like today, I really, really need to get this paper done. <laughs> but I know that if I put it, I can do it. Don't get me wrong. I mm. can finish the paper. I can have it submitted before the, before the call with, with you. But I know by tonight, I'll be a cranky mum. I'll be mean to my husband. I'll be up all night worrying about it and getting more and more anxious. So what I'm better off doing is giving into that moment having a couple of rows of chocolate, which is what I did, mm. with my cup of tea and watching a movie for a few hours because now I feel great. I've done the interview with you and I'll work most of the afternoon. Yeah. So it's just being able to reboot. And don't get me wrong, sometimes it takes two, three, four days of just needing myself to reboot and re, 
re-energize and mm. I, but I do it every time I, I try very hard sometimes you have a lot of choice but I try very hard not to let those feelings roll into two or three or four days because otherwise I feel I can't get on top of it as top of it as easily yeah yeah that's really interesting I think that's a again a wonderful um, self-awareness and perspective to have because like I probably come at it from a, a slightly different angle but it's all to mitigate the same thing right like I exercise every day because I know that that makes me a less cranky person to be around Um, and and sometimes our lives aren't set up or able to do that but it's having those little tools in your toolkit and knowing what works for you most importantly yeah and exercise is a huge one so and that's what we say with a lot of our patients even if you don't feel like it go for a 10 minute walk because the endorphins and the adrenaline from exercise make such a difference Mm. but um but yeah, it's just more being honest, and it's the same as in being aware of your triggers and being aware when you when you need to need some help, need a break. It might be talking to a friend, it might be doing yoga and or breathing, or or. And I do have a friend who love a couple of friends who love to journal. Dan Ewing's a good one. He's on SAS Australia with me. Yeah, he's fantastic. His sayings and his mementos and what he writes down and the positivity, like the three or four things you say at night to him. He he's he'll be great for you guys to watch. Yeah. Um. On on the show because he's remarkable with all that kind of stuff. Like um. Nicola McDermott with yes, yes. similar in her drawing yeah exactly she's she, well she yeah. was amazing because like yeah. I mean I don't I couldn't imagine journaling between <laughs> yeah exactly the <laughs> high jumper who won silver in Tokyo she was amazing like I just couldn't believe that as soon as she jumped she'd just like sit down and write it all down right out. yeah I know. <laughs> but that's what works for her. yeah yeah exactly so it sounds like you've already got some big plans in the next few years you've got your phd you're joining the army reserves are you going to have your fifth baby is that, is that I, mean, I don't know we'll see <laughs> it's a lot of kids yeah now that i'm a realist yeah 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 but like what what where do you want to go like what what are your big big hairy audacious goals that you've kind of got for you in the next few years or or do you just take it as it comes and take I the opportunities know. that arise I try. I do definitely try to do that. Try to take on opportunities, but I would love to be an obstetrician gynecologist. So, mm. um, women's health, maternity, fertility medicine, gyne- like as in um, ca- uh, women's cancer, ovarian, cervical cancer, or things like that, uh, is where my passion lies. But I am trying to be a realist. That lifestyle and four or five kids is extremely difficult. Mm. So my two goals be to work in women's health in some capacity as a doctor, but also to make sure my children are okay and don't need you know huge amounts of psychiatry in their teenage years. So. <laughs> yeah. um, how so? And I guess finally, um, how would you? Because obviously, there's been so many challenges that you've had to overcome throughout your life, your career, and you've managed to really just so beautifully translate that into success and and achieving the goals that you eventually want to achieve. What would your advice be to an athlete who may not have? had the success that they wanted to in their in their sporting career Oof, that's a hard one um oh that's hard to be <laughs> it makes me pause I think if it was my like say you're talking to your younger self as just as you're retiring I would say as hard as it is do try to, to be kind to yourself mm. you know try down and do debrief during the sport as for the last few years of your as you're as you're starting to retire to actually work out and have a clear idea of why you stopped why things didn't necessarily happen to plan so that when years go by, 10 years after you have stopped, you can look back at your notes and 
come to terms with them and know the decisions you made at the time were right and the circumstances for what happened, why they maybe didn't succeed at the level they were hoping to succeed at, happened because of this, this and this. And I think the other biggest thing, which I know a lot of our institutes of sport are trying to achieve, and you've done so with someone with your career and Liesl's trying to chase her different avenues, is to try and have an avenue outside of sport that you're in love with. Mm. It, motherhood could be or fatherhood, you know. I think the athletes that are fully focused and solely on sport will definitely find it harder mm. in the long in the run. So because if you can find something else you're in love with, don't get me wrong, you're always going to miss it. Mm. That is just if, if an athlete tells me they've retired and they're completely happy with their career and they don't miss it at all, they either shouldn't have done it in the first place because they clearly <laughs> didn't love it enough um, or maybe they were just so successful and really did make the decision to retire at exactly the right time. But mm. most of us aren't that lucky. Mm. Most of us will carry a few emotions for the rest of our life. It, it's so, so, so true. It's, um, I feel like you will always, there's always that what if, right? Like there's always that little <laughs> tiny voice, like what if this had happened or what if that, you know, maybe maybe if you hadn't have done this, then that would have equaled something else. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately we can't turn back time. We can only learn from those messages and those Potential mistakes, they probably weren't. They were at the right, at the time they were the right decision um, and they shape us who we are. So we just need to protect those post-sport that aren't coping well because I know I'm sure you have some friends who are not coping well outside of sport and I have actually lost a couple of friends to suicide post-sport because they really weren't coping in that environment. And I think that's where doing podcasts like this and, and some of the mental health work you do is really important to try and wrap those that don't have that secondary love or that even with a secondary love still find it so hard to move on because it's a type of personality. It's a type A personality. What's make, it's what makes them great athletes, mm. but it also can be um, for the rest of their life. Well, and, and I think that's that's it, the interesting thing because obviously you had that goal of being a doctor from when you were very young mm. and you had that second love, right. um, which was which is unbelievable and I again I totally agree if you can find something that you love while you are competing makes such a massive difference in terms of that transition it will still be hard but it'll be just a little bit easier um like for me like I didn't have that you know I spent the last eight years trying as many things as I could because I didn't know what I wanted to do so it's only been through my experiences through retirement and having depression and having postnatal depression after the birth of my first daughter that I started to realize like mental health was my passion and I wanted to pursue it which is why I'm doing counseling and and all of those sorts of things but yeah I think you're you're exactly right I think you need to try and try things and see the things that might be outside of of your sport. And it might be coaching, it might be parenthood, it might be all of those things, but it's being open to those opportunities as well. Absolutely. I was at, that was supposed to be my last question, but finally, (laughs) a final, final question. Um, What what was your career highlight? Because you had such uh, an illustrious career and I know that it was marred with injuries and, and things outside of your control, but what the thing that you're most proud of from your career? Most proud of would just be, would be the world champs after having my son, because I just think that was a minor miracle getting back to, but my favorite moment was actually Commonwealth games in 2002. I was only 17, 18. So I was really young, but I got to run with Tamsin Lewis and Kathy Freeman in the, in the four by four. So it was actually a relay event, but to run with your hero, you know, Kathy was Mm. just, it was not, you know, I can barely describe what it was like watching her growing up and then being able to be in the same race with her was was amazing. So it was it was definitely my career highlight. I, I swam with um, Patria Thomas at the 2004 Olympic yeah. Games, so I know you that get- feeling 
Yes, yeah. very much so. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll, I know that you're so busy. You obviously got your research day, so I'll let you go to do your research and get that paper in. But, Yana, thank you so much for your time. It's This interview was everything that I thought it would be. You're an incredible woman doing incredible things. And, and also, just an, as an aside, thank you for the work that you're doing in um, the COVID ward in the hospitals. It, like It's incredible work that you're doing. Um, but, yeah, just thank you for being here. No, thank you for doing it. I hope you love that conversation with Yana as much as I did. She is unbelievable. I just cannot get over what she has been able to achieve in her life and continues to strive for. And that's, I think that's partly why I love these conversations is because you start to see other people's inner workings and the emotional roller coasters that people have been on and the sacrifices and the obstacles they've had to overcome to achieve what they do. And, yes, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Yana. Like, subscribe, rate, review, all of those things, please. Uh, And if you have any ideas of anyone you'd like me to speak to, uh, make sure you head to Instagram at allthatglitterspod and slide into my DMs. See you next week.